Welcome to the Posture Strength and Mobility Podcast. I'm Isaac Osborne, and I'm here to share with you tips, tricks, hacks, interesting musings, and much more in short, digestible episodes. To learn more about how you can improve your posture, strength, and mobility, check out the show notes for links. Onward with the show. Welcome to episode 25, The Power of Breathing Patterns. In this episode, I'm going to take you through a case study of someone that is more likely worse off than you are. The gentleman is a former NASA doctor and software engineer, had poor posture most of his life, then had a stroke and it made things worse because of losing function to one side of the respiratory diaphragm, let alone other neurological issues from the stroke. Hopefully this episode will inspire you to take care of yourself, learn to breathe properly, and know that age or conditions are not a factor in keeping you from improving yourself. The power of breathing patterns can be instrumental in improving your health or degrading your health. So we can have functional breathing patterns or we can have dysfunctional breathing patterns. person I'm going to show you has dysfunctional breathing patterns and is improving his breathing patterns and has improved his breathing patterns. And I want to go over why these breathing patterns are so fundamental. Proper breathing patterns are respiratory diaphragm function. And the respiratory diaphragm is, you know, right in basically the middle of your body. And it's a very large muscle. The muscle itself needs to have assistance and function from other muscles to be able to operate properly. It needs to have function of muscles, little tiny muscles along the spine. It needs to have function uh, in relationship to muscles of the abdomen and a pressure orientation in the abdomen. The ribs need to move correctly when the respiratory, uh, respiratory diaphragm contracts. Shoulder position is a big deal in respiratory diaphragm function. Because it's dependent on where your shoulders are, it's going to influence uh, the ribcage and the ribcage is going to influence the shoulders. Also, pelvic position helps determine and function to a certain degree respiratory diaphragm function. Now, when the respiratory diaphragm contracts, the ribs ideally should move out sideways and they move upwards towards the head as well. So they, they kind of make this... Is I'm making this movement with my arms. They kind of make this same type of movement. And as the ribs go up towards the top of the head, then that motion of the ribcage going out to the side allows the respiratory diaphragm to contract and pull air through the nose. If you're breathing properly, you're breathing properly through the nose. And you can exhale through the mouth, but inhale, exhale through the nose. When that contracts, that allow, that's, uh, allows air to come in because it changes the pressure orientation of the lungs. Atmospheric pressure fills that in. And then when you exhale, the respiratory diaphragm relax, relaxes and pushes the air out. Now that's a proper breathing uh, pattern. And what happens is through posture, emotional stuff, um, also positional movement, how you use your upper body or the rest of your body in exercise and so forth helps change those movement patterns for better or for worse. When we go over this gentleman's case, we're going to call him Joe. So you can see Joe right here. And you, it's obvious he has <clears throat> quite a curvature in his upper back. So we have this all this rounding in his upper back. And we can see specifically in this area how much he's collapsed in his ribcage. So you can imagine 
when that rounding and that and that collapsing in the in the rib cage in that position the diaphragm can't function very well so what ends up happening is he ends up using his neck as a primary respiration now first off you're going to think oh well if we strengthen his back uh if you strengthen his back then we'll be able to get things moving properly yes that's true but that's that's looking at the body from one side so it, it's 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 not just working with his spine that needs to happen in fact in my opinion working with the diaphragm is working with the spine because of all those factors i just mentioned specifically that lateral movement in the rib cage when the, the ribs move out to the side if those ribs aren't moving out to the side then you're not getting the that that opening of the rib cage. So if my fingers are the ribs, that opening of the rib cage, and those there's muscles along the spine that actually pull those ribs up. Now, if you're not getting that function, you're not getting spinal function. The ribs are part of the spine; they connect to the sp to the spine. The thoracic spine and the rib cage really are one. They can't really operate without each other. So in reality, having strengthening your back is strengthening your breath patterns i have yet to see any type of case of spinal issues and not see a breathing issue your spine and your nervous system and your breath all sync together they all coordinate with each other and if your breath is off then your nervous system is going to feel it. An example of that, and we'll, we'll be talking about this today, is the four-six breathing. So four-second inhale, six-second exhale. There's a ton of research and a lot of books and a lot of people practicing this type of breathing. And what it is, is when you inhale for four seconds and you exhale for six seconds, what happens is it's triggering your parasympathetic nervous system. So your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system are two sides to the nervous system of your autonomic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight. And then the parasympathetic is the rest, relax, regenerate. So if your body is not able to get into a rest, relax, and generate state, you're trapped in a fight or flight state which changes blood flow to your organs, it changes blood flow to your muscles, it changes blood flow uh, to your brain. It, um, the muscles don't ever really get a chance to relax, it affects the connective tissue, um, many other things. Whereas the parasympathetic nervous system, if you get into that parasympathetic state, then it's gonna affect your libido, it's gonna affect your cellular regeneration, it's gonna affect your absorption of oxygen into your body, it's going to affect your nervous system and your ability for your muscles to relax because it helps relax your muscles and so forth. So being able to change that state of being, of switching your body into a sympathetic state or a parasympathetic state is what I'm talking about with the four, six breathing. So if you're unable to inhale and then exhale for six seconds, more than likely, you're not really able to attain a parasympathetic state. And if you're not able to attain a parasympathetic state, then your ability to re regenerate, relax, and all those other things that I listed are less likely to happen for you.
And if they're less likely to happen for you, that means your body is going to degrade faster. Your body is going to break down faster because it doesn't have a chance to regenerate. This is incredibly important, obviously, for many, many reasons. So now when we look back at this gentleman and we go, okay, that breathing has everything to do with this posture and this positioning. The spine has to coordinate with the respiratory, with the respiratory movement. Your heart rate has to coordinate with the respiratory movement. When you exhale, your heart rate slows down. When you inhale, it increases. This is a natural state of your body. So think about that for a second when we're here. And if we like, okay, if we look, we think about the nerve innervations, or we even think about blood flow to this gentleman's brain. In this area right here, the compression of those muscles constantly being in this position affects arterial flow to the brain and from the brain. It potentially could even affect how cerebral spinal fluid is getting in and out of his brain and down the rest of his spinal cord. So all these things are very, very possible when we look at breath. And he's using secondary respiration muscles, which triggers sympathetic states, which triggers different blood flow, flow, and also the inability to relax properly. Okay, so what I'm going to show you now is when we did some breath work, and I also did body work, so I did some release and stuff like that with the, uh, body work. What happens, and this is this is June 3rd, I think this is uh, three years ago. Um, so here's the before, this is in one hour. We have that difference in one hour. So what is great is that he has a lot of potential to be able to shift and change. So when I saw this, I thought, okay, this is, there's a lot of potential. That means having this ability to go from there to there, so before, after and by the way those those uh, little squares in the background that you see in the background those are two inches so that's almost two a little bit over two and a half inches that he gained in height in just one hour now is he going to retain this no you don't get that much of a difference and then it's permanently a shift you have to work for it okay and that's what you see here so we have from june 3rd to march and this is the next year going into the next year and then we have we have him going from June to March and then he has basically gained almost four inches in height it was straightening out his spine and this is this is no body work this is the very first time I saw him didn't do any work whatsoever I was just doing an assessment and this is March uh, however many months later that is I'm not going to count that in my head right now so that amount of change in that period of time. And it was the main thing that I gave him is the breathing work that I'm going to show you today. Let's compare these photos side by side. First thing I want you to take a look at is the length of his neck. See how crunched his neck is here in the before photo on the left. And then on the, on the photo on the right is the after photo. And this, by the way, is in between those two dates of June 3rd and March 9th. And this is before... Uh, the, the one on the left is before I started working with them, uh, our first assessment assessment session. This is a follow-up without any manipulation whatsoever, very beginning of the session where I'm taking a photo and he's showing me how his basically relaxed natural state posture is. Now, two things 
to note, right? It was, is the, is the neck, the front of the neck, how much tension there is on the front of the neck, less tension on the front of the neck there. Then we have in the respiratory diaphragm, there's more space in the respiratory diaphragm area. More space in the respiratory diaphragm area gives us more function of the respiratory diaphragm and more function of the spine. We don't have, yes, there's still a decent amount of rounding in his back. However, we don't have as much rounding as we do from before. In these videos I'm about to show you, posture is important. The static posture position is an important position to look at. Also, it's very, very, in fact, sometimes even more important to look at movement and function while in movement. So what I want to show you is how he was breathing. This is the very first time I videotaped, <laughs> videotaped, this is the very first time that I recorded video of him uh, breathing and what his rib cage motion looked like. Okay, so this is his regular diaphragmatic breath that we're going to look at here. All right, so there's there's the inhale. What I want you to look at is how this area here is expanding. So let's move, let's move it back. Okay, so watch that movement all along here and expanding. How is it expanding? Not much movement. Right? His belly's moving. That's great, right? But there's not much movement going on in that lateral movement and watching his rib cage fully extend while he breathes. So that's the thing is that that's what you want is you want the diaphragm to contract, the belly to rise, and the rib cage to open and extend while that's happening. All right, let's watch the other video. The other video is going to show how much movement in his rib cage that he's getting now. There's the exhale. Now watch the inhale. Watch for that lateral movement in the rib cage when he goes into the inhale. There's the inhale and the belly rises. He's getting much more motion into his rib cage as he as he inhales. There's the exhale. You can see the whole rib cage move. Now on the inhale, then he gets on the inhale, that opening, that widening of the rib cage to get that respiratory diaphragm function. And specifically that area of the solar plexus, that's one of the major areas that I'm having him focus on because the more he gets uh, the belly to rise in that area, the more respiratory diaphragm function he's going to get. Now, if you remember in the beginning of the podcast, I said something about how he had a stroke and that affected his respiratory diaphragm. So what I want to point out here is uh, something that's very important about the respiratory diaphragm. The respiratory diaphragm has two nerve innervations, two main nerve innervations of the phrenic nerve. This is the phrenic nerve here. As I follow the arrow down, it goes and connects to this side of the respiratory diaphragm. And then on the other side of the neck is the other side of the phrenic nerve that goes into the respiratory diaphragm. And so what this means is that the respiratory diaphragm actually has the ability to contract one side at a time. And why this is important is exactly this reason for this individual, Joe here, is that when he takes a breath, even though he's had a stroke on one side of his brain, he still has access to the other side of his respiratory diaphragm. So you can have one side of the respiratory diaphragm paralyzed and you can still breathe because of the two different nerve innervations. Now you can actually learn how to control both sides, uh, one side at a time of the respiratory diaphragm. I haven't completely mastered this myself. It's actually pretty tough. However, 
you can restore more function and movement to the respira respiratory diaphragm if you involve all these other muscles that I'm talking about along the spine, these specific muscles in, uh, that are on the ribs in the spine that help with that lateral movement. So if you can help with that lateral movement in breathing, then you're gonna have less breathing in the secondary respirators of the neck, and then you're going to get higher volume of opening in the respiratory diaphragm. And then that allows that side that is maybe paralyzed or partially paralyzed to actually con contract along with the side that isn't. Then you get a larger volume of air in and we know how important air is. What's cool about this little video that I made uh, with one of my anatomy apps is that what you're gonna see here is it actually has the heart beating. So you see the phrenic nerve there is going around the heart and it's actually moving with the heart as, as you breathe. So you can imagine that nerve is not, it's not static. It's one of the great things about the body is that we t when we look at photos and we look at anatomy pictures and so forth, we constantly think that there's this kind of static image in our head, but look at that, that nerve is it's moving. It has to move with that tissue. It has to move with the respiratory diaphragm. It has to move with the rib cage position. It has to move with the neck position. So nerves move along with bones and joints and muscles. It can get trapped in between muscles and get trapped in between bones, depending on the position of your body. So your body position, your posture is super important for how your nerve health, your arterial health, your, your respiration. You, I mean, it, there's so many, I can just name so many different things on and on and on, on how important it is to have movement and fluidity throughout your body. And this brings us right back to the uh, parasympathetic state. Parasympathetic state brings us back to that fluid state. Our body needs to be in a fluid state, a fluid state to be able to function properly. You are 60, 70% water. More 70% depend on your hydration. And if you're dehydrated, tissue bounds up, it gets brittle, and so many bad things can happen. I'm gonna show you why diaphragmatic breathing on your back is the best place to start. I'm going to give you the reasons why, and then I'm going to show you how to do it so that you can start learning this on your own. It's very simple in concept, but it would be great if you partnered up with somebody, watch this video again with somebody, and then go ahead and try to troubleshoot these areas. Now, if you don't have somebody, you can always join my membership program where I can give you feedback on things. Like you can send me photos of your posture. You can uh, send me videos and I will help coach areas of your, of your body that you're having trouble with that you may not be able to see so that we can get you moving the best way you possibly can move. All right, let's check out why lying on your back when you're doing diaphragmatic breathing is the best place to start. It's not, you don't always have to do this position, but it's the best place to start and it's the most restorative. So first of all, you want your legs as close to a 90 degree angle position and your hips as close to a 90 degree angle position. So you can, you can lie with your back um, on the floor, obviously, but with your legs up on a couch, an ottoman or a chair or something like that, so that you can get this close to this 90 degree angle position. 
And what this position does is it allows the spine to actually flatten out and change its positioning in using the floor as a fulcrum. So when you use the floor in the sense that we, we're changing the direction of gravity and how we're not changing the direction of gravity, we're, we're changing how that how gravity is transferring itself through your body. So for instance, when you're in this position, right, and we take that uh, Joe for an example, he, in standing up, he's like this. This whole area right here is compressed, right? There's not much room for his respiratory diaphragm in this position. So it's, it's extremely hard for him to continue to hold this position while he is on his back because gravity is exerting its force this way. So his head, everything becomes very, very, very heavy, and those muscles get tired and let go and allow him to open up and change his ribcage position. So that's really, really important. So your spinal positions, we're talking rotations, we're talking rounding the spine, even, even neck positions like this, are going to have a hard time staying in that position because gravity is going to have its effect. Now, for someone like Joe, for instance, we put some books or pillows behind his head, and that allows the neck to relax and lengthen. You can even see this ligamentation or this representation of ligamentation that I have behind his neck here. Um, as I bring his, the head into this position, it lengthens that. So that that's that ligamentation on the back of the neck that I that I talk about uh, frequently is the nuchal ligament and the musculature in the back of the neck. That's, that's having to basically drop towards the floor while, while you're in this position. So the next thing that's going to happen is all this stuff here is cartilage. And you might have uh, interstitial fascia or, or perifascia, as Gil Headley calls it, that is restricted. So layers of tissue are going to be restricted. And those layers of tissue can hold, aside from muscle being contracted, those layers of tissue can be restricted. And this area here, this, this is called the costal arch, is going to, going to be narrow. And that narrowing of the costal arch doesn't allow the respiratory diaphragm to contract properly. We want this, this narrowing to basically open up in this direction because when it opens up in this direction, we get a proper contraction of the respiratory diaphragm. So what I want you to think about when you're lying on your back like this, the arm position is very important too. So when the arms are out to the side like this, you're going to have a greater release in this bone here, the clavicle. When the clavicle actually moves, or the shoulder actually moves towards the ear, I can't move this side that, well actually I can't move it a little bit. Uh, when the clavicle moves towards the ear, then what happens is, it starts opening up and leaving, uh, creating space for these upper ribs to move. And these upper ribs, uh, from what I've seen in my practice over the last 20 plus years, is that these can be the, some of the harder areas to change in the body. You don't get a huge amount of movement in these ribs, or at least I shouldn't say movement. You, you don't get a huge amount of um, people having awareness of how to move that area, and it's, it can be tricky to teach. So allowing that those shoulders to kind of shrug or slide on the floor towards the ears 
allows more space for these ribs to open up. But if the arm is going down in this position, is going the arm is going or the shoulder blade is going down towards the pelvis, it's going to trap these ribs. And if it traps those ribs, then the expansion of these ribs is going to be really tough. So like I was saying earlier, the movement of these ribs, because you have fibrous cartilage here, and on the back, you have joints. The, the ribs actually have synovial joints. So a synovial joint is like your knee, where it's fibrous here. And it's a good thing that they're fibrous because that elasticity in that, in that fibrous tissue is what helps actually helps your body exhale without you using much muscular ac action. Now, when the ribs open up, they should move towards the head not towards the ceiling you'll get a little movement of it kind of looks like this where it goes it goes up, it goes up a little bit towards the ceiling and it moves towards the head when you have proper rib cage extension or opening of the ribs you get the wide movement in the in the, in the rib cage and it makes this movement towards the head slightly i'm going to show you this in, in here in a minute and that respiratory diaphragm when the respiratory diaphragm contracts it changes the pressure in the in the belly or the abdominal cavity, which is a hydrostatic cavity, meaning it's basically hydraulic, right? It's like a water balloon. And that and that pressure in there has to rise somewhere. So depending on the tension of your rib cage and how you're holding your rib cage, it either rises in the lower belly or it rises all the way across or more in this area when you get that lateral movement of the rib cage. So now I'm going to show you how to properly diaphragmatic breathe and give you some tips on how to troubleshoot diaphragmatic breath. But think about this for a second. As uh, I'm going to repeat this when I'm teaching you, but when we think about two thirds in the belly, one third in the chest, and most of the time you're going to feel it in the in the lower areas of the chest. And there's some there's some things that we can do to help you feel that. Um, some awareness tips that we can do. But that's what I want you to to think about when you're lying on your back and you're breathing in this position and you want to spend at least five to 20 minutes doing this a day. So you might do five minute intervals in the morning and the evening, or you might do 10 minute intervals morning and evening or three times a day, break up your day. The more you consistently can get things into your day and your movement patterns, the more you're going to shift your body. The body loves repetition. And consistency, that's how it creates habits and patterns. And that's the only way out of dysfunctional habits and patterns is consistency of the opposing force of whatever it may be that you're trapped into. So in this case, it would be getting your spine straight and aligned as much as you can. The floor helps provide that positioning for you. And then you're practicing breathing. You're, you're slowly engaging movement and strengthening the neurological function of those movements. You're getting your body into that parasympathetic state. And you're getting movement in the ribs. You're, you're getting a shift in the pelvis. You're getting relaxation of all the muscles around the pelvis to allow the pelvis to shift its position too. And while you're doing that, um, you're getting that respiratory diaphragm to begin to function properly. And once you get it to function properly, then you can progress into different positions using it in all kinds of different positions in your, in your training, your athletics, your sports, 
uh, office driving, you can access this breathing type of state of, like I mentioned earlier, the four second inhale, six second exhale. And I'm going to go over that right now and show you how to do it. If you'd like more in-depth coaching with me and programs that will help change your posture in, in more depth than I'm doing here today and without all the exp explanation that I'm doing, uh, these the classes I have on my posture strength and mobility program. I also have uh, acute pain classes that you can do for cheap for ten bucks for five bucks, um, and also my membership program where you can send me photos and I can help you troubleshoot things. Aside from just doing it by yourself, check out the show notes for links. And so the first thing that we need to do is people are tend to be very very tight. In this area, this, this area is called the costal arch. So lie on your back just like this. If you have a massage gun, you can also check out the show notes and purchase uh, my brand of massage gun called the Integrator. I have a mini and a large one. Um, and I also have protocols for these. We need to release this area first. So a lot of people hold a lot of tightness in this area, are too compressed and contracted in, in here. So what we need to do is re release it. We have this fork attachment. Turn it on a slow speed, and that area that I that I showed you earlier, that costal arch, you can put this on one side, the the fork on one side, and then on the other side, you have it on the rib cage, and you just hold it here, and you just relax your breath as you breathe in this position, and then what you want to do is just hold it there for about a minute or so and i'm just holding it lightly i'm not pressing into it i'm just breathing as i hold it here and that vibration will actually have a relaxation effect on on, to, on your body and onto your diaphragm and then you find another little spot right here and you can kind of go move up and down the rib cage here and notice that i'm doing my left side but i'm holding it in my right hand switch sides and then do the other side for a couple minutes as well. This will start to kind of like maybe you could call it jumpstart <laughs> your respiratory diaphragm, but it also helps relax all these muscles around it, specifically obliques, that most people are really, really contracted and tight in their obliques, and it's limiting their breathing function. So if you're doing a lot of core work, or what I what I term core flexion work, crunches, all those things, working your obliques really hard, contracting your core so that it comes in like this, then more than likely you need to release that. You're overworking your core and you're, and you're messing up your breathing patterns. So now a, pro a proper diaphragmatic breath looks like this, where you're gonna have the two thirds in the belly. See how it naturally, everything comes up and then you get, it actually stops. Now I can actually, press my belly further up, but I'm not gonna do that and then I'll show you the dysfunction here in a second. So I do that two thirds up and then I do one third in the chest. So I get that movement into the chest and you notice that my belly, it kind of drops down just a little bit as I get that movement in the chest, but I'm getting that lateral movement, this, this lateral movement in the rib cage is super, super important. So when most people belly breathe, they they do this and pay attention to my left hand here and my right hand here as the belly raises up the chest goes down and so what's happening part of the movement of the belly going up is actually the pressure of the rib cage being pulled down that pushes 
pressure of that abdominal contents, basically think of a water balloon, right? If I squeeze the top of the water balloon, the belly is going to rise without even contraction of the respiratory diaphragm. I do this and the belly rises. Notice that there's creates more tension along in my neck as well. So if I inhale like that, then I'm getting two thirds in the belly, one third in the chest. So I'm getting that expansion. Now, after you get that expansion, most people push their air out. And there's a time and place for pushing your air out, mainly when you're doing cardio or you're completely out of your breath. You have to pump that, that air out rapidly to increase the oxygen intake to match that carbon dioxide intake or the carbon dioxide rise in your blood. So in this case, you don't want to do that. You want to be able to have a release of the rib cage in a way that doesn't create muscular tension. So for instance, if I inhale like this, get that movement there, then I go. Look at the tension in my rib cage. Look at the tension in my neck. And I'm contracting a lot of musculature as opposed to this. And I just feel the expansion and then I release. I slowly. Release that expansion. Now inhale through your nose. If you can't inhale through your nose for whatever reason, allergies or your nose is stuffed up, then obviously go through the mouth. But nasal breathing is really, really important. I'm not going to go into all the details of nasal breathing. However, nasal breathing is incredibly important for your body. So you want to inhale through the nose and exhale through the nose as well. If you can't exhale through the nose, then go ahead and exhale through the mouth. Now, there is a, a breathing technique in yoga called ujjayi breathing. And ujjayi breathing is a constriction of your throat. And it helps you control volume in and out of, of airflow. Now, it's the way you do it is you actually kind of constrict your throat like, like you're trying to fog up glass, like that kind of that kind of movement. So when you're inhaling, you do the ujjayi breath in. And you do the same thing out. And this is where you're going to start doing the four seconds in, six seconds out. So you, you want to count 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, three to four seconds on the inhale. And then slowly release that air for six seconds, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. And why I say release the expansion is because when you, you're slowly letting go of that expansion, what you're actually doing is relaxing. And the, the, the cartilage of the rib cage is it's very elastic and very, very strong. And that elasticity of the cartilage is wanting to return to this neutral state. And with it wanting to return to this neutral state, you're actually using cartilage to exhale rather than your musculature. And it conserves a lot of energy. 
specifically muscular energy. It's incredibly efficient. The body is so miraculous in how efficient it is. So with using that cartilage to allow the exhale out, you're just exhaling till the air stops. Obviously, I can exhale a lot more, but it's much more relaxing to your nervous system to allow that cartilage to uh, to have that exhale movement of the rib cage going back towards the center. So you inhale and then exhale. Using the ujjayi breath, breathing through the nose. As you exhale, you count that exhale for six seconds. Now, some troubleshooting. A lot of people can have a hard time with getting access to the respiratory diaphragm. If that's the case, then what I, what I recommend that you do is this. We do a couple different steps. And so the first step is going to be exhale all your air, and then you're going to hold your breath, and then you're going to relax, and then you're going to breathe. So it looks like this. So then I exhale. Hold my breath at the bottom. Relax. Automatically, as soon as you start to breathe, most people have the experience of feeling that respiratory diaphragm actually engage. Because when, when you relax the rib cage, then all of a sudden it actually opens. Yeah, I'm sure you saw my rib cage just open up. Then it creates space for the respiratory diaphragm to contract. So you'll get a, a better contraction in the respiratory diaphragm or you want to feel more contraction in the respiratory diaphragm. Exhale all of your air first, push it all out, then relax and then breathe. And you'll get that rise in the belly and then bring it up to your chest a little bit. Now remember, bring your arms out to the side, shoulders kind of shrug towards the ears so you open up those clavicles and create more space and movement for those upper ribs. You'll get a larger volume breath if you do that. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links for my uh, Posture Strength Mobility Membership or other courses and classes on uh, neck pain, back pain, uh, shoulder pain, and so forth in uh, or on my website. And uh, don't forget to ask me questions and I will see you next time. Let me know what you think and don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave a positive review so others may find it and get help too. Check out the show notes for links on how to win a mini integrator massage gun, posture strength and mobility classes that focus on corrective exercises, or self-myofascial release protocols for neck pain, back pain, knee pain, plantar fasciitis, and much more with my massage gun, The Integrator. Until next time, keep exploring your body and stay curious.